Bibles while you're still standing and turn to Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18. I'd like to read through the whole chapter as you're standing. And the Lord spoke. Oh, sorry, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to spend time in your word and a portion of your word that often we don't spend time in, the book of Leviticus. I pray and ask that you would continue to use this as a sermon series to feed us, to give us your standards, to provide us direction. In Jesus' name, amen. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter whether brought up in the family or in another home. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter or of your daughter's daughter, for their nakedness is your own nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter brought up in your father's family, since she is your sister. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is your father's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is your mother's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. That is, you shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and of her daughter. And you shall not take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are relatives. It is depravity. And you shall not take a woman as a rival wife to her sister, uncovering her nakedness while her sister is still alive. You shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in her menstrual uncleanness. And you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife and so make yourself unclean with her. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And you shall not lie with any animal, and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean, and the land became unclean so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. 
But you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all these abominations so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you, and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. You may be seated. Uh, so, this is a continuation of, finally, I'm getting back to Leviticus and trying to glean from Leviticus those uh, ethical commands, those moral uh, statutes that still are important for the Christian to um, consider and apply to life. I want to be very careful to warn us all up front that we've got to be refusing caricatures, all right? Um, We understand that God divides people between the just and the unjust, the righteous and the wicked, the believer and and the non-believer. That's a dichotomy that we accept. But we've got to be very careful that we do not caricature people because... People are complex, and uh, someone who who sins is not thoroughly and consistently evil in every respect, and someone who calls on the name of Christ is not always good and proper. One does not have it all right, and the other one does not have it all wrong. The unrighteous, those who are non-Christians, can be good or very nice people. They can do some things very well and do. The Christian, on the other hand, who has found the forgiveness of Christ, is being cleaned up by the Holy Spirit, can still be a bum and very sinister in his own motivation and actions. So, I want to say that at the outset. Both and all answer still to what God says. His word, his law, is paramount. So then, the laws of the United States of America, right now it seems they protect sexually illicit behavior, bad behavior. And this changed as the people of the country have changed. The more openly the people turned from God to pursue their fleshly interests, the more there arose a demand for a contraception. That goes way back into the 60s or wherever, maybe before. A demand for the right to divorce without any blame. Legalized abortions pro-sodomy legislation, and other educational, social, and legal pressures to change society's views and standards about sex. Today's laws reflect, what do they reflect? The 20th 
century American. And it's not a good reflection. And unless we return to God-honoring standards and rules, we are doomed. Make no mistake, we are doomed if we do not get back as a country, as a whole country. It's what happens when people corrupt God's good things. Now, this is not to say that we need to be doomed. There is hope for the righteous. There's pockets of people, maybe whole communities, that even if the nation continues to go down this wayward path, maybe there could be counties and communities who wish to love the Lord and obey his commands. And God would protect them. There can be groups here and there that God blesses because they pursue marital fidelity. They pursue chaste behavior among the unmarried. Nevertheless, God has not made a world in which infidelity, incest, homosexuality, and bestiality get blessed. That's not the kind of world we live in. These always, these always bring curse. You will forever break yourself against this fact if you ignore it. The land itself wants you out. You make me vomit is its inclination. The land does not approve of sin. God told Cain in Genesis 4, you know, he could hear the voice of his brother's blood crying from the ground. Crying from the ground. And now you are cursed, Cain, from the ground. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. What we find is... Not only does God hold the sexually promiscuous accountable for their sordid behavior, but he also holds accountable people who refuse to correct them. I'm trying to like look into your eyes when I say that, right? He also holds accountable people who refuse to correct them. When a community does not do even even what the ground does, when a community doesn't cry out, then such silence is tacit approval. That group of people do not get a free pass from God. The whole lot of them suffer. Speaking of lot... Consider that age-old example of Sodom and Gomorrah. Before that first fiery hailstone fell, God had a meal with Abram. Abram. The Lord and two others, angels perhaps, they were headed for Sodom. And Genesis 18, 16 through 21 says, Then the men set out, and they looked down toward Sodom, 
And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children. Listen. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. Then the Lord said, Because because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. The cup of sin was very full. Depravity and deviancy engorged the city. And God heard the cries against it. Creation cries. The land vomits. There can be no escape except by repentance and humility toward God. Like Nineveh did in history later on. They repented. Charles John Ellicott writes, throughout the history of the world, whenever nations settle down in vice and corruption, okay, whenever they settle down in vice and corruption, the decay of their institutions follows upon that of their morals. And they either waste away or give place to some more manly race of conquerors. Their vice and corruption decays their institutions. They either waste away or some manly race of conquerors comes and gets them. He's referring to war or annihilation, occupation, exile. But I'll tell you that that more manly race of conquerors doesn't need to be a more righteous race. They just have to be sent by God to deal out his justice. It's also true that God may simply conquer, he may simply conquer with bees or bears or fire or plague. It was fire and brimstone for Sodom. But Abram, with whom the Lord dined, he wasn't to be counted among the likes of the people of Sodom. The Lord even said, I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to to what? Keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. In Leviticus 18, we're told God's rules for sexual relations. It's pretty chock full of stuff. We're given his statutes 
as contrasted with those of the nations. Because you see, the Lord does not want his people being like the Egyptians. He does not want his people being like the Canaanites. And both had become detestable to God. Detestable, which you'll see in a little bit. They didn't need to act so badly. In fact, the Amorites, okay, which is the majority group that were up in the land of Canaan, the Amorites, they could have changed their ways. God is patient, he not, not wishing any to perish, but he does not allow man to trifle with him. Patient, but don't trifle with him. We learn about the Amorites back in Genesis 15, 13 through 16. It says, then the Lord said to Abraham, okay, this is long before Sodom and Gomorrah, okay, back in Genesis 15. Then the Lord said to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that, that is not theirs and, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted 400 years. Okay, so he's telling Abraham about Egypt. Egypt's coming. But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. He's going to die. You shall be buried in a good old age. And then God says this. This is what I want you to hear. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. They could have changed. They could have repented. They still had time. Over 400 years of time. Ellicott says, if the Amorites had not made the scale of justice weigh down heavily, they would not have been deprived of their country. Yet, like Americans today, they did not let off the gas pedal, but intentionally pressed down on it. Christian, we, we must not be like them. Verse 1 of Leviticus 18 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. First point I want to make about the text itself here is that I want you to understand keeping God's statutes and rules is life-giving. It's life-affirming. Obedience brings blessing, always. It ushers in peace. It is man the way he should be. The land likes it. The land likes it. The angels like it. Other people respect it. Actually, God makes things better for you when you obey him. 
When it says if a person does them, he shall live by them, this means your life will be abundant. God will be on your side. Things will be as he intended, which is glorious and good. Mark Rucker adds, this is the promise of a meaningful, secure life for those who are faithful to God and who exhibit their faithfulness by obedience to the law. We got to understand this out of the gate. Good things happen when you live according to God's rules. Bad things happen when you wish to live according to different rules. And the Lord makes it abundantly clear in verse 4, you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. A minute ago I said even other people will respect the nation who follows God's law. In Deuteronomy, Moses told the Israelites this. He said, see, I've taught you the statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sights of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, the very statutes we're reading in Leviticus and elsewhere, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 through 8. Oh, how the church needs to embrace the law of God again. We need to teach it to our children again. We need to live, live a life morally upright and, and, and keep a distance from the temptations of the wicked again. The alternative? Choose you this day. Here you go. The alternative? The alternative is to live according to the statutes of the Egyptians or the Amorites or the rulers of Sodom and Gomorrah, or the laws of the United States of America. Choose today whom you will serve. These nations wanted different standards. Their people wanted different lifestyles. And that boils down to, that boils down to not wanting God, which is the next point. People would rather exchange God for something less, something other. So they can decide what? So they can decide for themselves what they want in life. It's, it's all of our problem. It's explained in Romans 1, where the Apostle Paul describes what happens when men exchange the truth of God for lies. It's basically... Quick summary, he lets them. He lets them. God gives them over to their lusts. 
to the things they prefer to Him. And before, before that person knows it, before that nation knows it, they hardly recognize it, they tailspin into the depths of maybe sexual sin, maybe something else. But Romans describes sexual sin as a sure sign that a nation's been given over. They become enslaved. They begin to think and reason foolishly, though they think themselves quite intelligent and wise. And they will argue. They will argue and reason quite effectively. God calls it depraved thinking, though, which leads to all sorts of sinful and criminal behavior. And I know that doesn't sound like people you know and love. Sinful and criminal behavior, all kinds of wickedness. That doesn't describe my cousin. That doesn't describe my daughter-in-law. That doesn't describe Uncle Fred. Not completely, no. We're not consistent. But over time, watch out. Their end is complete destruction. Romans 1. It is both just and sad. It's the story of nations who depart from God. Yet what is a nation? What is a nation but individual people? Individual families? little neighborhoods, the workplace. It's us. Some of the sexual sins Moses lists, they seem extreme. You and I would never dream of such a thing. Others have have surprisingly become acceptable. But do you... Do you think for a moment that any of the extremes, the the pushing to the edges, is unheard of? After all, these were the practices of the Egyptians and the Amorites. The Hebrews, the Hebrew people, they were the only real hope for purity. God gave them a high esteem of the marriage bed. High esteem. In Psalm 94.20, the psalmist asks God an important but rhetorical question in regard to the nation's laws. He asks, Can wicked rulers be allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute? The rabbi, Aben Ezra, says that custom is second nature. And in course of time, custom has the force of law. Wherefore, bad customs, bad customs should be strictly guarded against. Why didn't we guard 
against sexual promiscuity and suggestiveness. Why did the church drop its guard? Where were the watchmen? Say it's not too late. Give the, give the church time, Lord. Please let it still be said for us, the iniquity of the Americans is not yet complete. Give us that time to turn things around. A society is damaged and close to death when it no longer calls criminal what God calls criminal. It is preceded, of course, by broken families that neglected to call sin all those things God calls sin. Far be it from us to say, I think we do pretty good. I think we're pretty good. As if God judges on a curve. Accept your responsibility. Okay, move forward. Do better. tell you, if a family with its rules and a society with its laws do not consider certain behavior sinful or criminal, then what they do instead is they establish it and they protect it. So God gives us a list of unlawful sexual and marital rules and what it should look like. He will not tolerate these things. They do not reflect his character. And I'll spend more time on them in the next sermon or two. For now, I want you to go all the way down to verse 24. It says, Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all these abominations so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the, person who, the, pers- the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you, and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Point three. I've already mentioned... It's the land that is repulsed by iniquity and vomits its inhabitants. You could almost say that man was made from the ground, but when he became debauched by sin, the ground's disowning him. Want nothing to do with this guy. It will not claim him as its own. This is mentioned in verses 25 that I just read in verse 28. Land vomits out. Land vomits. However, the land 
does only what God has compelled. In verse 24, he says, I am driving out the nations. Verse 25, I punished its iniquity. Point four, as I said earlier, in this Leviticus series at least, that the Hebrew could become unclean. He could be un- become unclean either accidental, by accidental contamination, or by moral sin. Here the Lord is instructing them not to commit moral sin. In fact, he refers to these sexual sins of the Egyptians and Amorites as abominations, verse 26. And if you remember, when someone or something was unclean, it meant that it could not come to meet with that which was holy. The two don't go together. Holiness and uncleanness cannot reside together. And in these cases of sexual deviancy, God's ethical standards have been molested. It is immorality that has made the people unclean. They need to repent and get right. Point five, we cannot maintain, friends, we cannot maintain a live and let live perspective. Verse 26 required the Israelites to hold others to God's law as well, didn't it? Even, it says, even the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. They were obligated to God's standards. I tell you, we are judged when we live in the midst of others who choose to ignore God. If we do nothing about it, we get vomited out as well as our children and grandchildren, neighbors and friends. So I want to ask you a question. Who brings, who brings this harm upon society? Who causes the land to vomit? I'm not, I'm not speaking of God here. Who's the perpetrator? Who are the perpetrators? Who is it that aggravates against God? The example of Sodom make makes it clear. It was Lot's fault. Isn't that what the wicked said? Sure. The only godly man in the city interposed himself between the debauched men and God's angels. And Lot said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. What did they think of Lot's rules? They said he was the bad guy, the self-righteous one. This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door, break the door down. This is the, this is the anthem of the godless. A sentence right off Jesus' lips, taken out of context to be sure. Judge not, lest you be judged. There. You're not supposed to judge. And so who gets the sharp end of the stick in our culture? It's the, is it the adulterer? Is it 
the one committing homosexual acts? Is it the promiscuous? No. It's the judgmental Christian who tries to uphold God's standard of morality. Not that they do it perfectly, okay? There is certainly self-righteousness to be guarded against at all times. But there should be pleading. Look, sinners are good at turning the tables. We're pretty smart when we sin. I mean, shrewd, that's a better word. You and I have done it, I'm sure, I have at least a guard against guilt. Turn the table. Smoke screen. Yeah, but you did it. And so it happens that those who introduce ungodly sexual practices into our communities and into society, those who are guilty of sin and bring trouble on us all, they bring trouble on us all, They protect their sin and hide their guilt by playing what? The victim. The victim of Christian intolerance. And we've all heard many times, well, my father didn't accept who I was. He was harsh. Maybe that's true in some cases. But this is a tactic. A tactic. So say... You go along with it, okay? I'm going to stop fighting. I'm not going to fight it anymore. You go along with the perpetrator of illicit sexual behavior. You tell yourself, ugh, it's not up to me to change the world. I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of through with that. There are so many people who see things differently, and a lot of them are nice people. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should just love them as they are, like the schools tell me and the TV tells me and the government tells me and some churches tell me. It's easy to understand why some might choose that smoother path. Just leave it be. For sure. Who wants to fight? Especially when we have family members we've got to battle with on these things. We love people. We love real people who are pretty committed to sexual sin. Must I fight with people I love? But is it love to let them go? Where will it leave them? Those who have embraced the rules of our nation rather than God's law. Are you loving them? I ask you to turn to to one verse just briefly. Leviticus 20, verse 23. I'd like to read it. Because what it says is eye-opening. I think it's one of those things that causes you to kind of be honest with, with yourself. Leviticus 20, verse 23. It says... And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. Therefore, I detested them. 
I ask, does it bother you that God might detest your friend and your family member? It's a strong word, yeah. What about the homosexual? What about the adulterer? What about this relationship of cohabitation outside of the married, married state? I suppose if the person has no problem with the Lord detesting them, then maybe you'd say, go along, have at it. Are you loving them, or have you given up on them? Are you loving them, or have you decided in favor of what? An easier life, getting along. I want to say something. We're not just talking about this short life that we live here and our time in America, in Elto, Wapan, Brandon. We're talking about eternity for these people. And it's, it's hard. I'm a selfish guy. And any, I think you'd, you'd agree, maybe not with me being, yeah, you'd probably agree with this too, but I'm a selfish guy. And if God's spirit isn't working a change in me or has not worked in it changing me, I'm not here. And I'm probably counted among these that we're talking about. But God does do good work in us, and he can convert and bring to repentance Isn't it fair to suggest this? That the violator, I'm almost done, that the violator of God's sexual ethic, isn't it fair to suggest that the violator of God's sexual ethic is truly the selfishly unconcerned person? Here's why I say this. Based upon what God says, Isn't it the sexually defiant person who is unconcerned about his or her family? Unconcerned about his neighbors, his church fellows, his society? Of course. Maybe this needs to be taught to them. I I don't know. I ask because God makes it apparent that he will not tolerate a society that has rules about sex similar to the Egyptians and the Amorites. So your friend or family must member must have decided somewhere in their soul along the way, and it's not that the church or you didn't have some of the blame in this. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But somewhere along the way, they made decisions. They listened to certain teaching. They bought into an argument, and they indulged. So your friend or family member made and continues to make this lifestyle decision, this lifestyle that they live more important to them than sparing the rest of us from God's punishment. That's not love. They're not being loving. That is selfish. There is your perpetrator. I say with all due respect, to how nice the person can be, how much you love them, how much they love you. The church has got to make this clear. I don't want the ground underneath me crying out to God 
and vomiting me out. I want my family to be secure, to experience a blessed and vibrant life. I want the church families to be secure. So so something's got to change. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you bless the, the words that have been said here, that you use them wholly for your purposes in the earth, in our souls. Holy Spirit, apply what is good and glorious and erase those things that you don't want us to think or become confused by. In Jesus' name, amen.